I'd like to propose a toast. Welcome to Before Brunch. I'm Megan Cassidy. And I'm Cassie Delaney. And we are your weekly celebrity pop culture, politics, arts, social issues podcast. And we go live every Sunday morning at around 11am, just before brunch, to chat about all the things that you're going to chat about with your mates at brunch. Mm-hmm. So what's up this week, Cassie? Cassie's tired. You've been flying a lot and traveling a lot. and um, Yeah, no, I'm feeling quite... Um I'm feeling okay now. It's been it's been a a busy week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in London yesterday. I was always, I always feel really cool saying like, oh, I was in London yesterday. I was in our UK office, but in actual fact, I did made the terrible terrible mistake of getting that half six flight. Mm. Um, and like funny story, I I didn't realize for a long time. Like people would always like the red eye, and I was yeah. like, no, I'm just on the half six flight. Like for a very long time, up until very recently. I thought there was a flight called the Red Eye that was like, you know, the one that went really fast, like the Concorde. I know I can't believe I'm admitting wow. this. I'm like so tired and practically drunk and probably going to spill a lot of truths in this episode. OK, so there'll be a lot of clapping to cut. Um, Yeah, the Red. I don't mind early flights like I would be a morning person. The only thing that gets me down and it particularly gets me down on an early flight is the nausea, like the emptiness that the I weird, feel in my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? It's because you're just totally out of sync. Like you're just your little routines. And we've we've actually spoken about routines in a previous episode and how much they set you up for the day. And like when you knock that out of whack, it does really affect you for the day. So like eating your breakfast in the airport at like half five. No, and that's what I had actually Googled it because I said to myself, I can conquer this early morning thing if I can get rid of the nausea, because it's the one thing that I wake up at half five and. I could say, okay, I can get up now, but I know I'll feel really nauseous for the entire day. It's not just the morning. That evening, I my stomach will still be telling me, you got up way too early this mm-hmm. morning. You need more sleep. So, uh, yeah, well, I read up on it and apparently the cure is to eat something straight away because your body it needs food or something along those lines. And that just doesn't work for me at all either. It just makes me feel worse. So when I think of early morning flights, I think of nausea and emptiness um, and it's just absolutely rotten. The only cure for it, unfortunately, is a glass of wine. In the morning? Absolutely. Okay, I'll try that the next time I'm on a business trip at half six in the morning. Yeah, and you see, that's the, that's where I also struggle. I don't travel for work, but I can imagine if I did, I would allow myself a glass of wine absolutely every single time I was on the plane because I consider it a sort of medicine for there the early morning. Kind of, yeah, and there's those kind of unwritten rules that like you can actually kind of have a drink if you're going over in the airport. I mean... I mean, it's, it's I'm probably going to get in loads of trouble for saying that. I never do, except one time. It was great. But I don't usually do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's, it's a weird one. It was entirely, entirely my own fault. Like I was, I needed to be back last night. So I insisted on going over. That moment of real lick arsery and swatness we talked mm. about last week mm. where I was like, no, oh my God, I'll get the early flight. I want to make the most of my day in London. I could have. I could have taken the 9am, 11am flight, gone over for what I needed to do and turned around and come right back. But I was in a sheer, a rare moment of total, just total Seize the day. nerdiness. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty nerdy. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week what we're going to chat about, so it's a long 
this there's a there's a theme at the moment it feels like there's a whole sort of paradigm for tech and uh, social media platforms and last week we spoke a little bit about snapchat maybe folding up all the drama with rihanna their stocks dropping this week has been a big one for Mm -hmm. facebook um obviously it's been a big I mean, probably 18 months for Facebook when it comes to our trust in them and a lot of scandals. So this time I kind of thought, okay, these guys are accustomed to scandal now. And you actually text me or you text into our little group and said, um, oh, is anyone following the Cambridge Analytica thing? And I had seen headlines and I was like, Mm. oh, another Facebook scandal or whatever. This one is different. This one is big because it is a massive breach of trust um, and it has massive political influence, obviously. Um, So I'm going to give a very, very brief overview of what has happened for anyone who hasn't been following it. Um, If you haven't, have you no clue about what we're talking about, I would say pause the podcast now, go away to and read a little bit, just Google um, Cambridge Analytica and you'll you'll kind of get the top lines. But if you want to just push for it, basically give an overview. Basically, what happened is Cambridge Analytica, first of all, is this kind of um, political campaigning company, like a digital marketing um, company, basically, right? It itself is rooted in sort of scandal. Uh, Its vice president was Steve Bannon. Its CEO is Alexander Nix. um, And it's funded by the Mercers. So I think it's Robert Mercer and his daughter, Rebecca Mercer, right? And they're two of the biggest funders to Trump's election campaign. Steve Bannon obviously became Trump's advisor in the White House till he was fired in August 2017, but highly influential in his election campaign. What has happened was... There's been a whistleblower from this company called Christopher Wiley. He's this very young data scientist and he was involved in the foundations of this company. Cambridge Analytica came up with a system of what they're calling psychographic profiling. So they can build a psychographic profile of Facebook users and people based on their the interactions they've had on Facebook, um, the pages they've liked, who their friends are, what they watch, all that kind of stuff. And they're able to ter- determine their political leaning and then they created content that was going to influence them and market them, right? How they've done this is the problem. So they have, um, they worked with a, a professor in Cambridge uh, called Kogan. And Kogan is a Russian professor who was given permission. Always the Russians. Always. I'm pretty sure that's libelous or whatever, but I don't think we've got any Russian listeners. Sorry if we do. Um, Kogan was given permission by Facebook for academic research purposes, where he was permitted to build an app and it was a uh, a personality test. And that personality test um, was given, allowed Kogan access to users' data. Um, So back pre-2014, Remember when you had the likes of Farmville that you would play on Facebook. So there was external app developers were allowed to create software add-ons, apps, games, tests, all that kind of stuff. And it would grant them access to um, user data. The app that Kogan developed was able to go in and pull data from users. And we're talking like, when we say data, we're talking about like their personal information, their email addresses, their location and their behavior on the site. So the pages they had liked, 
the um, things that they had posted, who they were connected to, all that kind of stuff. But this app was detrimental in that not only did it pull the data from the people who did the survey, did the questionnaire, it pulled the data from their friends and family. So when Kogan initially developed this app in kind of in agreement with with Facebook, um, he paid users to take the survey. So he was offering people it was like a couple of dollars to go on and take the survey. So I think the official line is that 270,000 people took the survey in America on the paid scheme. But because the app could pull the data from their friends and family, they very quickly amassed the data for 50 million people on Facebook in the United States. Okay, that was not a breach of Facebook's terms. That was not a breach of what developers were allowed to do. Um, Unethical, possibly, but because it was for academic research purposes, Kogan was allowed to do it and he was doing some sort of study on, on people's personalities and profiles online and all that kind of stuff. Kogan then sold that data to Cambridge Analytica. Now, I think they're saying that he didn't actually personally receive any money for it, but his research was funded and he was able to continue his research and Cambridge Analytica had this um, massive thing, right? So with that data of 50 million people, they collected their Facebook IDs, they ran them through this algorithm kind of AI system. And from that, they were able to pull up a huge... uh, a huge profile of each individual. So it was things like their top 10 political interests rated in order. It was like their political leaning, how susceptible they were going to be for information, how they liked to consume media. Really, really valuable and telling data. And then what Cambridge Analytica did in partnership with um, SCL and a few other places was that they created content that would influence those people based on those psychographic analysis of them mm. so um it was particularly influential for vulnerable people um swing voters um and and you know anyone who hadn't ha- made a solid decision on the clinton and trump election mm. and there's been actually a lot of examples of other elections that they have influenced and other um, political parties that they have supported um so that's kind of it in a nutshell, yeah. basically. Now Christopher Wiley has come out and he's like, we did this, it was a propaganda machine, we knew what we were doing, we were using it to push the alt-right. Obviously Steve Bannon has been very connected to the alt-right movement. He was previously the editor of an alt-right publication um, and it was a basically a propaganda machine that was used with the intention to manipulate people. Um, if you've been following the story at all, there's loads of great interviews with Christopher Wiley. There's some great input from um, from the CEO Alexander Nix. He he did a spe- he did a, he did a talk at a marketing event, and it's on Concordia's YouTube page. Um, and he actually talks about what they did in the profiling. Creating profiles on voters is nothing new. You know, yeah. this is a system that people have done user profiles um, and all that kind of stuff is something that marketing uh, firms and marketing companies do all the time it's about creating content that's going to appeal to certain types of people but the difference here with Cambridge Analytica is that they have acquired this data in unethical terms in terms that are against Facebook's data policy and they have used it to create what is really really aggressive and a lot of the times untrue content and targeted at people who are going to be most susceptible to it. 
um, there's been a lot of examples coming out. So they were behind the kind of crooked Hillary Clinton website and mm. that whole campaign where they were pushing videos like, um, you know, they were they were really pushing the sort of Hillary email scandal that came out just before the election, um, which is really interesting because and there's also been a link there between Cambridge Analytica and WikiLeaks. So there's been a proven link that Cambridge Analytica reached out to WikiLeaks to see if they could access those emails that Hillary Clinton had um, had on her personal computer. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there's loads of other stuff to it. Alexander yeah. Nix was caught on camera saying that he could basically provide sting operations to uh, entrap rival politicians. He said like really scummy things like, you know, this information doesn't necessarily have to be true. It just has to be believed. And all these massively, massively unethical um, unethical things. The real controversy is, one, that this company could acquire this data via Facebook. And two, the connections to the Trump campaign and the connection to the uh, Leave EU campaign in the, in, in the UK. Mm. And there's also a lot of, well, they've also been proven to be connected to the Kenyatta campaign and a, a, a couple of other, um, a couple of other kind of regional votes in developing countries and stuff like that. And the fact that Facebook found out about this three years ago and never said anything. Yeah. It's a big one. So yeah. Zuck's in trouble again. I think what you hit on, like this is nothing new. The use of data to influence elections is nothing new and profiling people is nothing new. And I only started to learn about the value of data sets when I started obviously working in media and when you are trying to, any transaction in media is based on data. So it's nothing new that so the likes of Love and Dubliner, Love and Donaghy would have a lot of aggregate data information mm-hmm. in that we can see big picture things like um, your audience is 24 to 35. Yeah, of course. And they're female. There are 10 people in Boston that read this today. And that's all data. And that's what we trade on. And that's what we sell. Yeah. So Facebook, obviously, they're an up, when they were an up and coming startup company, made a lot of their money by not being private with data. Mm-hmm. But for me now, learning how valuable data is, I think back on myself when I first joined Facebook and I give them my name, my email address, where I am, and you feel like you're sharing that data with your friends. Mm-hmm. You know you're sharing it with Facebook. What responsibility do we have on on where we share our data and what's abuse of that data like I think using my data giving my data to a company like Facebook has always been obviously a company and you give your data to that company um when is it abuse it feels like abuse when they start trying to change the way I think but that's it right when you have data sets on things and this is nothing new it shouldn't be scary to people it's you know it's retail marketing everything 101 when you look at your potential user or someone who's likely to use your site, you make assumptions about their behavior. So you might say your audience is 18. Say you took a segment of your audience. You're like, they're 18 to 24. You know, they might be um, recent school leavers, early graduates, probably on a low enough salary, probably in, you know, 
the lower 20s salary bracket and that informs what you write and that informs what ads are targeted to those people yes. so you're not going to have an ad for fucking bmw targeted towards your 18 to 24 year olds exactly because like our content is curated by mm-hmm. and informed by those data sets absolutely and we attempt to influence the way they behave off the back of it so it's circular and it's a similar yeah process. but it's actually it's of value to the reader as well then because i don't want to see an ad that's going to be something that I can't afford or I'm not interested in so ads being serviced or content being serviced to me based on the kind of information that I'm willing to provide is the best option right yeah that's why this Google advertising and Facebook advertising is so incredibly successful because like if you are going to if you want to find where all the people are and how they behave and how to advertise to them, the, you're, it's Facebook. That's yeah. where the people are. So that's where you're going to try and tap into. Yeah, of course. But and this isn't a breach of data. It's well, Because it, it's not illegal. It's not hacking. It's they, not hacking. Okay, the sale of the data to Cambridge Analytica is a breach. Okay. Okay, and it's a breach that Facebook facilitated by giving a professor access to the raw data of that many people. It was a mistake on Facebook's part to allow external developers to have access to people's data. It's not illegal. It's not really unethical. I genuinely believe they made a mistake. They got too far ahead of themselves. They trusted people that they were going to use it, you know, effectively and properly. And some people didn't. Um, It's not... It's probably not illegal to create such profiles. There's actually a really good interview with... um, with Channel 4 have been very involved in this this kind of undercover operation. And in that, you know, they say to Christopher Wiley, look, I behave that way online. I have, over the last, how long have you probably been on Facebook? Since 2009. Like, mm. over the last nine years, I have liked certain things. I have shared certain things. It's all really for public consumption or it's for the consumption of my community of friends or whatever is on Facebook and we're not that careful with what we do online not I, remotely if we looked back on the pages we've liked they're got like they're just you you don't think it's twice not you. about it right yeah but you do make that assumption that when you're using a service or when you're using something that someone isn't going to collate all of that data on you and all of the things that you have done yeah you're kind of you you can safely make the assumption that you shouldn't be made accountable for everything that you've liked or engaged with in the past and that someone isn't going to create a profile on you and then use that to manipulate you right Mm -hmm. which is the dangerous part and that's the difference between like political persuasion and political manipulation which is where the fine line between what's campaigning and what's propaganda so the fact that they created very very specific messages right down to like the length the feel the look where it was placed and they targeted people that they knew were going to whose be, whose behaviors they were trying to change they like were, they were yeah, actively susceptible. trying to change their mm. behaviors not just influence them or present information and one of the best i think one of the best kind of arguments around it is that like we could be sitting here and based the two of us right and typically you would see content probably based on your location we'd be massively in the same general user set where you know under 30 women in Dublin, similar interests, we would receive the same content. But these psychographic tests tested us on how susceptible we are, like right down to how likely you were to believe your star sign, right? And they had a very, very specific profile, which means that you could receive different information to what I'm receiving, or you would receive a different story that was more likely to make you act in the way they wanted you to act. And I would receive one that was 
completely different, different headline or different format, you know, and it would have um, changed my behaviors to have the same effect, but they were targeting us in different ways. That whole thing and the whole thing about receiving your news and information online, it's a very insular and independent experience of media. So it basically takes away our shared experience. So it's not like we're both sitting down and watching the same news story or reading the same newspaper and we can have a discussion based on the same content. It's you coming at me with your story and I'm telling you about my story and we probably have seen different ones and we're going to have different understandings. So I have to believe your understanding of it and you have to believe my understanding of it and then that again has great influence on how people are going to behave and think like there is no common ground for a debate here because it was so micro targeted because your viewpoints are completely skewed by what you've been exposed yeah. to that's so scary and I think that's why this one this particular scandal feels so much more personal like say fake news and Russian bots and all that it didn't feel like it affected me but this is 50 million people and this is a an app that I and a, a a website I engage with every single day that I work on that I've been using for years um when it comes to responsibility now because this is something we chatted about last week Mark is kind of coming out and saying I don't know why I have to be the guy that makes these big decisions um about you know politics um I don't know if I want to have to police policy decisions why does it have to be me I don't want my ideology to influence what happens on Facebook but then I'm sort of like okay but you started this company and it's your company and you are CEO Mm -hmm. you have to because you have to make choices around these things and the only other option for me as I was reading that response I was thinking okay so what does he want does he want data to decide (laughs) how these things are are policed or you know what's what's ethical or what's not and then we're going back to letting the users decide like there does come a point where he has to say okay I take responsibility for this and then I'm wondering when Sheryl Sandberg is gonna speak yeah I mean I I heard Sheryl Sandberg's uh Sheryl Sandberg speak there at a, a thing that I was at and um I went to a Facebook event basically in Brussels uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was it was it was Facebook geared towards helping small businesses and medium-sized businesses with their advertising and it was really beneficial and was really interesting but Cheryl Sandberg gave the opening address and I feel like she preempted this because she spoke about Facebook's responsibility and how they're going to step up and how they're really concerned about how Facebook makes people feel and makes people think and all that kind of stuff and that they're actively working towards a way to counteract fake news they would never have come out and and got ahead of this. Like, no. they never would have admitted it. They were hoping to get away with it. They mm. spotted something that was off. And there's a really good, um, there's a really good interview with uh, the senior tech editor, I think, of CNN and Mark Zuckerberg that went up today. And she was like, well, Mark, you know, how can you, how can you guarantee that this isn't going to happen again? And he's like, well, we've removed those developer permissions so no one can access user data anymore. But and that then data's like, still out there. Yeah, but then she's like, but that data is out there. Okay. How can you be sure that Cambridge Analytica or Kogan were the only people who have done this? And he was kind of like, well, I can't really. Do you know? He, was he can't. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. And that's that's what the real overwhelming sense is from Facebook at the moment. And it was the same response to fake news. It was like it's kind of gotten too big and we don't really know what to do with it anymore. And we've built these algorithms that are 
targeting people and you know giving people information and it's all you know it's all user service so like I can put up an ad on Facebook and yes they approve it but it's a machine that's approving it um, and we've both been in businesses where we're heavily reliant on Facebook for attraction views whatever in, you know engagement um, and there's very little stopping us from putting out what we want to put out which is how these insanely insanely dangerous Hillary Clinton ads got out and how they've massively influ- influenced politics and how people think and it's how fake news gets spread and it's all that kind of stuff because they can't police every piece of content no. that goes up. And it's been the perennial question. I remember going to a Facebook event last year when Facebook Live was really taking off and they were pushing it and uh, someone in the audience asked, so we were talking about how um, the best Facebook Lives rise to the top or whatever and they gain load attraction. Someone in the audience asked, but what if it's a Facebook Live that's a fake competition and it does really, really well and it's at the top of everyone's news feed how do you police that like how do you make sure the content within the incredibly successful Facebook live um is good content how do you gauge a successful video is it still successful if it's fake news or if it's tacky or if it's and she had absolutely no answer I mean you'd be surprised you you the people building and continuing to build Facebook are obviously geniuses but are they that like I do feel sometimes with Mark he's still kind of a teenager who's shooting from the hip I think he 100% is like it has gotten bigger than he's me like, I Help. don't know like. and he took five days to speak about this after it broke mm-hmm. he took five days and I'm thinking back to remember when he said um, oh to for anyone to think that Facebook could ever influence the election is just crazy like Facebook could never influence an election and then all that shit came out about the Russians and everyone kept reverting to that initial interview where he said that and he just looked really naive and like he didn't really know his own company or that he was trying to cover something up so this time he takes five days and he comes out and he says really 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 sorry um don't know what to do about this Cheryl hasn't spoken yet and then I'm like does she need to speak is it fair to she's not technical but when you look at um it's like Google and Facebook are the two big ad giants that are in the center of all these controversies. And she's the common denominator because she has built both. Yeah. But I'm I'm hoping that she speaks. But then I also feel like it's not her area. Maybe, you know, she's they so much more be, polished and yeah. well-spoken that I'm like, save Mark, Cheryl. Like, Do come and something. help him. He's not able to... Defend himself. He's still this teenager. With remember, he had that stupid card that was like this. I'm the CEO, bitch. A few years back, he's changed his image completely yeah. now. But he was doing the like young student CEO vibe, and I'm almost like, when is Cheryl going to save him? Like she's the lean in. She's the she, she's a smooth talker. Yeah. And she's that's that, not fair. It's all surface stuff, though, really, because this is massive. Like their shares dropped seven percent during the week, right? Which is thirty six billion dollars of value has dropped out of Facebook. A lot of investors are cashing out their investments now, and there's a big, massive campaign to boycott Facebook. This isn't just about Facebook. This is about how people behave online and. They can't, they can't solve that. Like it, it, they, they have to do so much now to reinstate people's trust, not just in Facebook, but in online interactions or transactions or everything as a whole, right? It was always going to be tenuous. There was always going to become a moment in time where people wised up 
to how their online personalities would affect their offline ones. Like, of course, we kind of all jumped in really naively in 2009. You know, um, we jumped on Facebook. We didn't think anything of it. Like at that time, I'm sure a lot of their user base was quite young. Now it's fucking global. Like, and I think it's just you know there's just there's so much going on here like there's so much for them to counteract yeah and they've made so many big mistakes and there there is a definitely a very like you can feel this movement towards is facebook making me depressed do i need it at all it's really damaging yeah. um but when you think about deleting it it's not possible and that kind of goes back to the, the way they scaled so quickly by l- allowing apps access to this data and making sure that we had to sign in to various apps through Facebook and yeah. we're so connected to Facebook in so many ways. I mean, you and me professionally, all day, my nine to half five, I'm looking at two Facebook pages, staring at them. Um, I We can't, how can you disconnect? It's like, how do you check out from Facebook? You, I can't. But when you, you think can't. also when you think about the Facebook family systems, there's, there's loads of people now who are going to be like, oh well, I don't actually use Facebook. I rarely go on it. Right. Mm. The Facebook family is WhatsApp. It's Instagram. It's Instagram. It's your messenger app, and then the Facebook audience network as well, which is a lot of media sites that you probably don't know. That you don't know are in the network, but the ads being serviced to you are being are being serviced through the Facebook advertising platform, which for for marketeers and for businesses, the Facebook advertising platform is unrivaled. Like how granular and how um, effective you can get with your advertising is amazing. It's an incredible tool. That is it. I had a look today at the ads I was being served because I don't, I'm kind of gone numb to them. I hadn't seen them. So I went through specifically to find out what they were throwing my way. And a lot of it was mindfulness, meditation and travel. and then I thought okay how would they know that about me but it's not not true like Mm -hmm. I am looking to I have started thinking about so recently I bought a book by Tim Ferriss and I was starting to think about maybe I should be meditating that all the most successful people are meditating I never told Facebook that or said it out loud or anything but it does it's true I have thought about it and then travel wise I have recently started following this family on YouTube that live in a van they are incredible I'm obsessed with them. I watch them every night. It gives me perspective on life. It's a husband and wife and a two-year-old toddler. They live in a van and they drive around Australia. And it got me thinking, did I choose to watch this? Did I choose to become obsessed with this family? Or does someone know that I'm going to be susceptible, I'm susceptible to, this. to watching this family? I mean, I don't think we need to have that level of like fear, fear around stuff because obviously you're still your own person you're going to make your own decisions you're going to have your intrinsic values and the things that you're intrinsically interested in but they can be manipulated but they can be manipulated the specific pieces of content that you consume are probably targeted to to you based on your behavior online and this is the thing about facebook that a lot of people don't realize you know i like i listen to people and they're like oh my god it was so creepy i was like looking at a pair of shoes and then an ad popped up for that same pair of shoes on facebook or i was in a shop and i didn't say it out loud or i'd like they must have known that i was in a shop because i walked out and there was a facebook ad facebook follows you around the internet and it follows your behaviors right so if you've got location services turned on and you walk into a shop then it is likely that you're going to get a an ad for that shop because mm-hmm. it knows where you were mm. um take that off the record if you want they'll deny like a lot of people deny that and they dispute that but it's true um and then 
there's these things called Facebook pixels, right? And every shopper site in the world, every small business has a Facebook pixel set up on their site. So when you visit a website, um, that webs that Facebook then will pull that data of what pages you visited and then it'll target ads towards you based on that. Now, this is businesses making those decisions. So like, say for loving, you might um, have a pixel set up throughout the entire site. And then if you see that someone has uh, visited like the 10 best spots for brunch in Dublin, um, you will then write a similar piece about that, right? So say that was a piece that performed mm. really, really well. You could write a similar piece about that. You can go to your Facebook advertising platform. You can pull the data of the people who visited that initial one. And now it's important to say that you don't get their raw files. You don't get their no. email addresses. It's you, aggregate. It's aggregate. So you get uh, 200,000 people visited this um, article. Here's a similar one. Put a bit of money behind it and that piece will appear on the timelines of those people yeah. who visited the original one. It's it's wise advertising. It's clever. It's, it's advertising and it's what we do every day, creating content for people. And I can say all my choices that I make online, I have complete autonomy and I make them myself from my own volition. But even with what I do all day, I'm discounting our audience's autonomy because say you would say the 10 best brunches in Dublin, we'll sit down at our table and we say, when will people click on this? They'll click on it on Saturday morning. So let's put this up on Saturday morning because that's when most people will come and click on it. And even a small decision like that is actually discounting people's autonomy. You're saying they're more likely to click on it here when they feel like this because they've already behaved that way last week, the week before, the week before. And we're saying, we're basically saying, I can predict how they will behave. So this is what I'm going to do in order to capitalize on the fact that I can predict what they'll do yeah but that's what businesses do that's what businesses have done since the dawn of time that's why shop windows put their nicest clothes in the front that's why supermarkets have their milk at the back it is all about consumer behavior business 101 is about how can you get the most return or the most actions out of your potential consumers how can you attract people into your businesses and what can you do it's nothing new it scares people because it's online and because it feels personal it's the private message thing i think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are quite scared by that they did release private messages but the idea itself is not new at all it's like we're saying it's the basics of consumer marketing and it's been a part of politics since time immemorial like we construct speeches political um speeches in order to influence people based on how they've been influenced in the past we monitor behavior all the time i guess what's scary about this particular breach in cambridge analytica is that facebook didn't really do anything massively wrong Mm -hmm. they were providing their customers and users and this guy kogan with information profiling information right Kogan made a big mistake there in selling it to Cambridge Analytica that was bad shouldn't have done that um and then Cambridge Analytica stood in and used it for unethical purposes mm-hmm. okay okay there was a lot of people here who made a lot of bad decisions but I don't think Facebook at the heart of it did anything wrong they are trying to equip and um prepare advertisers and businesses with the most amount of tools that they could need what is scary is that profiling historically has been done on location age you know general behaviors education um and assumptions Mm -hmm. so you would say 
someone you know like we're saying earlier on like someone in this age bracket might be doing this they're probably likely to go out on a Saturday night and you know whatever and these assumptions are made on the habits of the majority of people we've never been so granular that we could target people based on their individual susceptibility. Mm-hmm. so I guess that's why it's scary do you know what's scary for me as well though what it, and what it keeps coming back to is what who do we blame and how come so many people can make bad decisions all the time? Who is complicit? What does it, like, as Ivanka Trump says, what does it mean to be complicit? So you look at Chris, who did that video that you shouted out at the start of the of the podcast, and he created this, mm-hmm. but he is still taking a step back from it. He's not identifying with it personally. He has excuses for why he was involved, and everyone along the line has excuses. Mark Zuckerberg has an excuse. Charles Sandberg will have an excuse. Like, we can't even blame Trump for the fact that he's president. It's not his fault. Whose fault is it? But that's the thing. That's the thing. So many people were complicit. And in some regard, we're all complicit because we all volunteer that information about ourselves daily online. That's what the scary thing is. It's like... It's our fault. But you have... You do that on the assumption that someone isn't going to be bad to you. You do it on the assumption that this is me sharing my life, creating it or doing whatever I want, that I have the freedom to do that and to share what I want about myself and that nobody is going to use that information against me but they did use it against people and it's completely unethical it's it is it, it, I mean it's I don't know where the legality on it is yeah you can you can actually go now and you can sue Cambridge Analytica for your information so there's laws in the UK that mean that they have to provide any information that they have on users and um, a couple of people have started to do that I think there's one lawsuit now against Facebook for uh, data being linked and Facebook are building a an AI tool that will allow you to put in your Facebook ID and it will tell you whether there was potential that your information had been... They did this for the Russian scandal too. You could, um, there's a particular page that you can go to. It's not available in Ireland, but you can go to that page and see if you've liked or... Actually, no, it doesn't tell you if you've liked, if you've been influenced by fake content that was created by Russian bots. They can actually but tell see, you that. They'll tell you, the, the thing they're going to be, I, I think the route that they're going to go down and the route they have to go down here is they will tell you if your information was used and targeted, but they're never ever going to be able to um, to measure how how you've been influenced. Yeah, I still don't know why I'm watching that Van family. <laughs> is it has someone else done this to me? I don't know. I think they might have, but it is a level. It's a weird level, and we've been talking about this for like so long now. We've, we've actually run out of time, really. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, but it's good though. I've learned loads. Like you're obviously a tech head. You're a nerd about this stuff. So I'm learning more. And I like it's a it's a tricky one because we're it's that look, we're all complacent. It's my responsibility to educate myself about what data I give over before I can be irate with anyone, I think. I am irate, I should be, but it does come back to who's to blame here. What have I given over that I haven't thought about? What do I feel is abusive data? What data um, do I not mind people using so that I have a better user experience? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not educated about it. And it kind of is our, our responsibility to do so when we're using all of these social platforms. Um, but yeah, I think the what, what people really want here is a solution. So people yeah. really want to know how they can not be too greatly influenced by it. Right. And we've known for a long time that the stuff that we're served online, the things that we read are based on our behaviors and our 
our um, our previous reading habits. So I would say to people, if you're reading something um, and there tends to be a bias in it, try find the counter argument. Try and go and like actively go and seek your news or your information from credited, uh, legitimate sites. And if you don't know what they are, go back to your broadsheets. Go back to you know. Go to the Guardian. Go to the New York Times. Start there as your starting point. Go to the CNNs of this world, and find your information there. And do as much as you can to try and read the counter argument, and then make your decision about it. See that even that thought of having to do that scares me. I feel like we're in some sort of a dystopia. But I think what will start to happen here is that we'll actually see an increase now in people's loyalty to traditional media. Yes. So traditional news sites, the credited ones, broadsheets, all that kind of stuff they worked because you would buy into the publication as a whole so you would sit there and you could read the guardian as a print and you're going to see varying levels of um debate and that that is your shared experience right and people are going to start going back to that and 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 making sure that uh you know we're going to we're going to have the same playing field from which to argue or whatever and facebook itself since the start of this year has been saying that that's the kind of media that they're invested in and that that's the kind of media they're going to support and they're going to put um put an effort into it and google launched an initiative earlier on this week a 300 million dollar initiative actually to support journalism and credible news sources and all that kind of stuff so we will you know, there's be positives. There will be positives. There's be positives. There's be positives. <laughs> Support um, journalism. But, you know, we'll see that. But again, the onus has to be on the viewer or the reader. And people have to be, you know, you have to be careful about what you're sharing. Be online. careful. Yeah. Okay. With that in mind, let look, we're going to have to postpone our early 20s breakup chat again. We got some amazing emails. Um, so we're going to talk about it next week. I also wanted to segue into Britney Spears and Kevin Federline's drama because it's the perfect example of when you get married in your early 20s and it all goes tits up. Okay, we'll, th- we'll do that next week. I, I'm yeah. sorry I lost a run of myself, but I have I love been it. dying to talk about this all week. Uh, yeah, I'm thrilled. You've been trying to initiate this conversation in the group all week and none of us are having it. No. So you got your chance, you got your outlet. Really, um, I learned actually loads um, and... It's quite scary and I'm terrified, but happy Sunday, everyone. Yay. Enjoy brunch. (laughs) Eggs on toast. Okay, bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.